0: Welcome to the podcast series, Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafta, and today I'll be chatting with Simon Ellis, co-founder and CEO of SmartWage. SmartWage is a South African technology company that enables employers to offer their employees access to earned wages. Hi, Simon, how are you?
1: Stacey, great to be here. I'm really well, thanks. How are you?
0: I am good. I am in sunny Cape Town, I've been having lots of meetings today and everyone's complaining about the weather, wherever they are, whether it's too hot, too cold, where in the world are you?
1: I'm actually in Watamu in Kenya and I am not complaining. It's 31 degrees and absolutely beautiful. Uh, I came back to SA for some work. I, I live in the UK and mm-hmm. had to make my way back to the UK in order to avoid hotel quarantine. Um, Kenya is not currently on the red list, so I decided to stop off and... Uh, and work here for ten days, and it's been amazing. If if, uh, if you ever get a chance to visit Botswana, I would highly suggest it.
0: Ah, for some reason, I thought you were there on business.
1: I wish I I wish I was. Maybe Kenya's on on, on the to do list uh, at some stage for for Smart Wage, but uh, unfortunately, it's it's just uh, a working holiday, if you could call it that.
0: How has it been working remotely for a South African company from the UK?
1: Great question. I I think the world's moved so fast in the last 12 months that working remotely or, or setting up a virtual team has been something that sort of most companies have had to face. So, you know, we, we started SmartWage when it, it was February last year and then, the, and then COVID hit. So we actually set everything up virtually. And in fact, you know, interesting story, one of our one of our co-founders, Caroline Van I I met virtually, she was in the States. And we spent sort of four or five months uh, completely interacting through Zoom and and Google Meets. Uh, I only met her in October, uh, sort of like six months. Six months later, um, and she was a you know co-founder and a big shareholder in the business. So, um, cool story. But I guess it tells you that anything is anything is possible with um, the way things are set up. I think for us, it's about being quite deliberate, um, you know, about creating a culture and a team that's able to work remotely or you know and and also facilitate uh from an employee perspective the lifestyles that employees want to live uh driving accountability and flexibility over your sort of rigid eight to five uh which i think is a somewhat outdated concept
0: yes there's clearly a lot i don't know the beginning stages of smart wage but why don't you take it back a bit and tell me how the business got built what led up to it i want to hear it all
1: uh, I mean, uh, big question. Not quite. Not quite sure where to start. But I mean, I grew up in South <laughs> Africa. I went to, went to university in Stellenbosch. But I guess the, the big part for me was when I went traveling. I took a year off to go traveling, um, and I, I actually started a blog called "The Symptoms of Curiosity." But why I mention that is, I think um, being curious is kind of where it started. you know, I always wanted to understand why things were done like they mm. were. And growing up in South Africa, obviously a, a fantastic place, but. You're not necessarily exposed to the ways of the world and the way other people or other cultures do things, um, and I think that was one of the turning points for me. Is kind of figuring out how other people were doing things and, and trying to work out why was it a result of um, the circumstances they were in or the traditions or the cultures, um, and that was when I kind of asked myself a lot of questions and I and I sort of started blogging about it um, but uh, sorry i go on a tangent there but to, to kind of lead <laughs> me to smart wage was I, I um i was working at deloitte for a couple of years doing my accounting articles and i just realized i i wanted to do a little bit more i, I didn't look up at the partners i was i was working for and think um i wanted to be like them i think they all have fantastic lives and were lovely people mm-hmm. but th- that wasn't what i wanted to do and, and so i made a deliberate uh, effort to say cool i wanted to actually something and i tried so many different things which ultimately all failed um but it was about being curious and figuring out um i guess what most of the other you know other people had figured out and and trying to take what they'd figured out and apply it in a context where i was comfortable and and where i could hopefully instigate some sort of change and so we took an idea which was earned wage access uh, a company called wage stream um and decided to see if we could launch it in south africa and someone once said to me sort of doing business in africa is uh you've got to deliver things in a wheelbarrow and and, uh i think it's a it's a great um saying because south africa or or africa things are a lot simpler and you've got to take yeah you know the nuances around how you deliver products and how you do things are very different to the rest of the world or rather the developed world but there's a lot of concepts you can take from the developed world and uh take them to a developing country and and implement them
0: you you just mentioned trying different businesses not everything working out in your favor many have ideas but not many make them into something how did you bring your idea of smart wage to life and what do you think made this idea different
1: probably starting uh obviously started a few other things which which as i said didn't didn't work out but i would i'd say it probably goes down to three things um you know, everyone's got cool ideas, whether it's starting a boutique hotel or um, mm-hmm. you know, doing an eco-retreat or or in our case, smart wage. But um, we just had to start. We actually had to commit to to doing something about it. The second thing I would say is people, um, getting the right people involved early on was was critical for us. Um, and then the last one is perseverance. You know, there were so many times and still is, or still are so many times where You know, there's there's a good reason that we could give up. Um, We we got denied early on. You know, the regulator first said we weren't allowed to operate. Then our WhatsApp got blocked Mm. by by Facebook, and then you know we had an employee issue, and and there were so many reasons to fail. And I guess you just have to persevere through them and know that uh, I think on the journey there's a lot of highs and lows. And I would probably say that was the biggest reason. I didn't get the previous ideas off the ground was because I didn't persevere. Um, I didn't also get the right people around the table. And if, if you bring those two together, I think, uh, you know, you can not achieve anything, but you can certainly yeah. get started and, and get moving on an idea.
0: We were chatting about how you've helped multiple businesses raise seed funding. What have you found to be the common factor with those that have found great success that can be measured by reaching or exceeding their monetary goal, even just being perceived well by investors?
1: Um, I think the first thing is is passion and energy. Uh, A lot of teams, you know, there's there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things, but the people that are that are have this infectious energy and passion are not super excited about what they're doing. You can feel it, mm. you can tell it, and I think investors absolutely love that. Um, mm. The second big thing um, is probably like realizing that there's you know no such thing as as problems, only solutions. And um, it was it was an interesting sort of change for me where I went from you know working in a corporate world where you know, I don't think you talked about the word problems a lot and you realize in startup that everyone talks about openly about the problems they have, you know, what are you, you know, and we've yeah. got lots of problems as it stands and, and how they're then solving them. And I think investors love to see people who have, you know, audacious ideas about ways to solve, you know, age old problems. Um, so I think raising funding has got, got, got a lot to do with the team and, and the people, but, but also the stories you tell people love a good story. And I know that sounds maybe cliche, but, uh, stories that have, that have that have impact and purpose um and are crafted well do well i mean you, you look at uh you know we were we work as a fantastic story now, now obviously yeah. the story didn't work out but people bought into the fact that we work was not a you know the traditional office business it was a technology mm. business and people bought into that for a long time um and so you know i think the stories are, are really important uh, and the last thing i'd probably mention is um the ability to to build relationships um you know, fundraising is 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 a bit like dating. You've got to start yeah. small and build a relationship with with people over time.
0: Any advice for those in seed funding stages?
1: Start building relationships with people early on and make sure you're fully committed to what you're doing and, and super passionate about what you're doing. I think those those things go a long way. People can feel the energy and the passion. Um, it's it's quite tangible. I don't think, I mean, you know, you can read lots of blogs and I guess that's how I started as well. But yeah.
0: Is smart wage solving the big problem you went into this business thinking you would went to investors thinking you would, did you pitch this problem to investors? I'm really curious to know where you are today versus where you thought you'd be.
1: Not, not really. I mean, we earned wage access was, was the solution, um, Mm. you know, giving people access to their, their wages as they've as they've earned them but um you know i, I was talking about it earlier today uh, there's that famous quote by mike tyson which kind of says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and you can build this elaborate business plan but ultimately you only really figure out what the real problem is when you put yourself in the consumer's shoes and i think that's yeah. that's incredibly hard like how do you actually begin to figure out what the problem is and how do you you know, and the only, the only real way to do that is to try and put yourself in the consumer's shoes. Often people are solving problems where they are the consumer. They had the problem and then they solve for it. In this case, yeah. we weren't the, necessarily the consumer we're targeting. And so the problem we thought we were solving, which would have applied to me or to, um, you know, the, the people that, that I'm um, working with at the moment and my colleagues, it was not really the problem we are solving. It was a different demographic, a different type of person, you know, working in a different job. With a different problem and we needed to understand what that problem was um, for them for, for when i say them the, the, for our consumer and really yeah. sort of understand the nuances of that how do, how did they view the problem and how did they want the problem to be solved and so it was really about sort of talking to as many consumers as possible who we thought we were solving the problem for and understanding it from from their situation i think that's a an ongoing journey i still don't think we've yeah. entirely figured it out I don't think we'll ever will.
0: So, focus groups, or, or what, what was your strategy?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got focus groups. We went on the ground and uh, spent time at malls talking to people. Um, we consistently interview and, and talk to both qualitatively and quantitatively our consumers that are using the product, those that aren't using the product. Why? You know, why are they not? You know, one might one friend might use it, and the other one decides not to. Why? Um, and you know, the answers are, are really interesting because it comes down to something often that you didn't realize, or there's some part of it that you just can't figure out. And that's when you've mm. got to really dig deeper. Um, and I think kind of taking a step back when, when we started, we thought, you know, smart widgets for, for everyone. If you get paid on a monthly cycle, you need access to your earnings, but you realized you can't build a product that solves everyone's needs mm. uh, right at the, you know, right from the get go. So you had to, you know, we had to fo- focus focus on a very specific niche market or segment to start and then build out you know the the rest of it
0: a great piece of advice i heard was to not launch a product when it's perfect but launch it when it's about 60 70 percent ready because once you launch you learn that what you initially thought you're going to throw out the window and you're going to carry on learning and as you mentioned you're continuously learning and continuously learning about what problems there are to solve Um, so yeah that's really important
1: I think, you're, I think you're spot on there. Um, you know, from, from our perspective, we, we launched a product that was entirely manual when we started. It, there was absolutely no...
0: Interesting. An, absolutely Interesting. no automation.
1: I think, you know, and we went on the journey of trying to think that we needed to build the fanciest app because that's kind of what everyone thinks in the beginning, uh, unless you've done this before and you've got some good people around you, which, which um, you know, we subsequently bought on board but didn't have in the beginning. Um, and you realize, like, how can we give a consumer, the, the, you know, the simplest form of product and let them give us their feedback so they drive what the product becomes rather than us driving what we think the product should be and then giving it to the consumer and they're saying, hold on, what's, what's this? You guys have missed, missed the point entirely.
0: Okay, doing things manually. This is something I was unaware of until recently. Many startups pretend to automate more than they actually do in the beginning stages. Why is this?
1: I think because you know you can only automate uh, processes which you know need to be automated. So um, and you can only figure that out by doing them manually. So we there's obviously things you know that that should be automated and that, that will happen, but you need to validate that all the time. Um, I was talking with a friend who's, who's got an idea to launch a a product, uh, basically a salt and pepper product for um, for in the kitchen, and just kind of saying, well, I I think that my consumers want uh wooden salt and papers and you are saying, well you think or, or have you validated mm-hmm. and we you need mm-hmm. to validate as often as possible and to to not waste time on um to not waste time on automating something that then is never used you need to manually do it so manually do it until you're sitting up into uh, up until two in the morning and you realize mm-hmm. okay we, we're not we really need to automate um and that was some advice that a, that a, a guy called matt henshaw gave me and he, he's you know he, he's a He's a brilliant guy who's got an amazing startup, but he, he his advice really early on was, was critical. I think we were very close to sort of outsourcing our entire development uh, to a product that we had never put in the hands of consumers, um, and entirely automating a journey which we'd never tested it would have been a terrible mistake. Um, and I'm glad we sort of got that advice. I, I would give the same advice to everyone else as well.
0: Okay, then I want to emphasize on the word pretend. Why pretend?
1: um could could you could you could you deep dive on that what do you mean by why so we
0: so we were chatting about the fact that many startups pretend that they're automating more than they than they are why not just be completely open about doing things manually or or be open about the tools you're currently using whether that's just an excel spreadsheet
1: i mean g- great question because you know when we talk to when we talk to investors and you sell a story it's like if i had to go to them and say yep um we are mm. sitting behind a WhatsApp WhatsApp solution, and I've got five customer service agents all sitting on WhatsApp. That's how we're responding to people. Or we built a WhatsApp chatbot, which is exactly the same thing um, that automates conversations. It is automated because, in a way, so
0: elevating your product, uh,
1: eleva- it's, a, it's telling a good story, um, and everyone does it. From you know, deliver. You know, I was reading a story about delivery early on, and and um, while I didn't, they didn't pr- provide details. You know, early on in the background, you know, someone would order uh, a you know uh, some something from a restaurant, and you would then phone the restaurant and then tell them. But it's all happening through supposedly an app, um, but but the consumer doesn't see that, and so you're figuring out, okay, you know that the this is how the consumer wants to be asked the pro, uh, you know asked how to solve the problem, and this is how the business in this case wants to receive that information and you're figuring it out and then you're automating. So I think pretending is part of the process and anyone who's been in a startup will know that, um, that at, at the stage that most companies are at, uh, early on, most things are being automated, even though they, they talk about, you know, AI and machine learning, mm. um, which is essentially buzzwords for, you know, they're, they're interpreting things and making decisions yeah. based off yeah. a whole bunch of information and data.
0: I always think back to Airbnb and their story, and they did everything manually in the beginning. To even attending every single house, speaking to every single guest, speaking to every single host, getting references in person. Um, but obviously, having an app, things made it look like they were a lot more automated, but. On the pro, doing things manually, you also get to learn about it. You're more meticulous. Relying on automation, you don't actually get to see the process. You get to see the outcome.
1: Exactly. Paul Graham from My Combinator, who, who's obviously backed my, my um, Airbnb, has got a great article that's, that's, that's called Two Things That Don't Scale. Um, and, it, and it explains exactly that. So Figuring out all the things that literally aren't scalable. It's not scalable to go to everyone's house and figure out but if they didn't go to everyone's house and manually knock on doors and get told Mm. you know this is a crazy idea um they would never have got the traction they did and and they had to do that for a long time um and and now look at where they are
0: exactly and and something i want to i want to talk to you more about is you call smart wage a social impact startup how do you focus and measure your impact
1: um, well, I think you know, going going a little a little bit of a step back. I think everyone wants to do something that actually makes a difference, um, mm-hmm. and typically it's it's quite hard to do. I think not not often do you come across ideas which are a, a triple win. In, in our case, it's a it's a win for for us if we can we can find a commercial model that works. Uh, it's a win for the employer because you're you know enhancing the productivity of their employees. Um, and then for the employees, you're actually solving a really very real pain point by offering them essentially financial services uh, at affordable rates. Um, but but social impact means um, for, for us at least that, that we're giving the consumer access to it, uh, an affordable product, not because um, you know we could charge, and we are aware that our consumers are relatively price and sensitive, but are currently. Uh, you know, relatively excluded from the financial system. And by charging them extortionate rates, which some of our competitors do, um, we're not actually solving the problem. We're just making the problem yeah. worse. We wanted to make sure that when we set up, a, set up a business, you know, we're really setting it up in order to solve a problem and make an impact on on the lives of South Africans. And I think that's, that's you know, been told a lot in kind of how we portray ourselves, but it really is at, at the heart of what we do. We're going through a, a big conversation at the moment with... A potentially large um very large strategic partner which is very exciting for us but we've made it very clear up front what our values are and what our principles are and if and if and if the strategic partner that we're talking to wants to you know take advantage of our consumers because they because we have a sticky product we're not willing to work together mm. you know we, mm. we've had to turn down for example, you know, we had a, a chance early on to work with a with a great betting company or a gambling company, and you know, it would have, it would have really like quadrupled quadrupled our numbers. And we turned around and said, "This is not in line with what we do. Mm. Uh, we don't encourage people to get access to their earnings and then spend it on on gambling." Um, so we decided against it. And, and commercially, look, may, maybe not the best decision because. We potentially lost out on some revenue, but long-term, I think a fantastic decision. And so everything we do has to be um, about making some sort of impact. And I think you know, one of our advisors uh, always likes to talk about the four Ps, which is kind of profit, people, planet, and, and purpose. And I think the future is, and the long-term future for businesses is, is not necessarily going to only be measured by traditional financial metrics. It's going to be measured by the impact you you make not only on the people you serve but all stakeholders whether it's investors whether it's um shareholders whether it's uh the employees who work there or all the people who use your product and that's really important to us
0: that's incredible simon thank you thank you thank you so much for for joining me in this conversation it was incredible having you on the podcast
1: thank you Stacey. it was uh it was great to chat i enjoyed uh, a couple of the tangents we went on so uh <laughs> I, I really enjoyed your podcast and thanks for your time
0: Of course. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you?
1: On LinkedIn or Twitter. It's uh, Simon underscore R underscore Ellis.
0: Perfect. Thanks again, Simon.
1: Thanks, Stacey. Have a good evening.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at talent in the cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.